everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Welcome all of our Bulletproof Hygiene listeners to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene podcast. We are super excited to have you guys joining us. Um, We hope that you have had a really great week of patient care and uh, collaboration with your team and that you're really finding fulfillment and satisfaction in what you get to do in your operatory every day. And that is the whole reason that Brittany and I exist in the Bulletproof Hygiene realm. So if you feel like you're struggling or you have questions or thoughts or, you know, you just want to bounce something off of somebody or you're just kind of drowning and you need some help, please reach out to us. If you haven't yet joined our Mighty Networks group, um, it's a free app that you just download uh, from the um, app store, Mighty Networks, and then search Bulletproof Hygiene. It's free to join. Jump in, ask your questions, join the community, and let's really collaborate and support one another. That's why we're here. So today we are hoping to sharpen our communication and our emotional intelligence skills as we talk about the dangers of making assumptions, especially when it comes to patient care, and how to kind of rewire our brains to instead ask questions and be open-minded. So Brittany and I recently had the opportunity to attend the annual AOSH Prevention Conference, and it was here in Atlanta, so we got to hang out all weekend, and it was a blast. Um, and it was a really cool setup because there were a lot of different tracks and courses you can take. And one of the classes that I took um, was really um, influential on me. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And I'm just like, I got to I got to get this information out there because it was a big deal for me. So um, I had the privilege of sitting in a course led by Mary Osborne. She is a hygienist with 35 years of experience um, in clinical hygiene, and she does a lot of communication coaching. Um, And she honestly, she is a wealth of knowledge, and I feel like I could listen to her all day. Uh, She was talking about active listening and how to stay in the question. And she did this really cool exercise where she had the class share some common pushback comments or questions that we get from the patients. And, you know, things like, well, is my insurance going to cover this? Or how come no one's told me this before? Or, well, it's not hurting me. You know, we're, we're familiar with all of these and a myriad of others that we hear what feels like on repeat all the time. And so she asked us to pick from one of those options that we had all called out and listed, and then just consider three different meanings or come froms that those questions or comments could have. And then she called on four different attendees that, or she said, basically like who picked, you know, no, how come nobody's ever told me this before? And, you know, a bunch of people raised their hands. So she called on four different people that had raised their hands and said, read to me the three meanings that you gave that statement. What's really interesting is out of those four people, there were like nine different options. Some of them overlapped. There were a few that were the same, but there were nine different ideas that were unique. And I've since been thinking about this and it was like kind of a light bulb moment for me. 
Um, cause I realized how easy it is to become calloused in our day to day, our year to year period of hearing patients complain or get defensive or become argumentative. And we kind of immediately assign meaning to other people's words or tones or volumes as we run it through the me filter. Right. Mm-hmm. And we make assumptions about that. And for a lot of us, let's be really honest. Our filter has been clogged over the years with a lot of pushback and negativity. So now when we hear a patient ask, well, is my insurance going to cover that? It's really easy to jump to the assumption of, oh, great. This is one of those insurance-driven patients. They're not going to move forward with what we're recommending. Like, why Mm -hmm. even bother? Mm -hmm. When really they're come from, or the issue could be that the patient knows they have a lot of work and they've planned on having work done. And so really they're working on their budget. They're trying to figure out just what the out-of-pocket expense is going to be. And they just want to know what, what that's going to look like. What, what will insurance cover? Or maybe this is their first time ever having dental insurance and they're curious to know how it works and what it covers. So it was just interesting to me that, you know, we, we filter everything through our own, you know, perspective and our own experiences. And we make other people's statements mean something to us that they may not mean at all. And that can be really detrimental. Yeah. When we step into our practices and start making assumptions, we miss out on opportunities and we can really deprive our patients of the level of care that they deserve, which is why we're all here. So I'm a firm believer um, in that the direction you think is the direction you go. So if we think something won't happen, then we tend not to give it our all and it likely won't happen. If we assume somebody's going to say no, we oftentimes won't even ask because we don't want to be rejected or hurt. We sabotage our opportunities for success. And in this case, it's our patients and our practices successes that's on the line. So let's dig in and understand why we make assumptions in the first place. And it's really normal. I think, I don't think there's a human out there that doesn't do this without really intentional focused work on this. So I'm going to say that it is a very kind of subconscious natural way that we, um, kind of survive and process things. So yeah, I, I can I add to that. Yeah, like, please. So I just think all of us, like our experiences do mean something, you know what I mean? Like they actually had meaning when we experienced whatever we did experience or this pattern that we've had, you know, our patients who um, were asking the question, what does my insurance cover? Like in the past, maybe many or the majority of those patients were insurance driven. They ended up not moving forward with treatment because they didn't want to pay an out of pocket. They expected hundred percent coverage. They didn't understand dental insurance. And maybe we did do our best to explain those things and troubleshoot and understand the patient and ask open-ended questions until we got to this outcome. Right. So there is like some validity to the quote unquote judgments and like the assumptions that we make. But I think that, you know, it's okay to take those experiences into our present, our current experiences, but with curiosity. Correct. I think that's the important thing. It's like staying curious. And so yes, maybe 70% of all the past patients that I've had this conversation with, they, you know, are insurance driven. Maybe that is their actual issue, but then there's that 30%, you know, that's completely something else. So maintaining curiosity, that's, and that's what I hope people do when they're talking to me, you know, if I come across like that, you know, I hope that they'll give me the benefit of the doubt and they stay curious about what I'm saying and ask enough questions to get to the bottom of maybe what I don't know how to explain. 
Right. You know, maybe they don't know what their question actually is. They don't know that we've encountered 70% of patients who have, who've asked about insurance and been insurance, you know, they don't know our come from. So I think just with curiosity is, is the best way to approach that with, and taking our past experiences into consideration, because there's also that thing where it's like, you know, we learn lessons, you know, with people, places, things like this is not exactly in the same line as this example with the insurance, but like, you know, the saying like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You know what I mean? Kind of like, like you learn the lesson, like, okay, you learn the lesson, but not like with rigid certainty. So moving forward, okay, maybe this person has good intentions or bad intentions. Like who knows, you know, we'll see what the outcome is kind of thing. Right. And curiosity. Yeah. And there's one other aspect that I'll throw in the loop because I think this is important is a lot of times from our mentality, because we know what we're thinking and Mm -hmm. we know what our intentions are, we will say the words that make sense to us Mm -hmm. and it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. But to the person we're speaking to, they have a totally different come from and a totally different mentality. So sometimes the words we say to someone else don't hit where we intended them to hit because they're coming from a different place Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So, you know, sometimes we'll say something that seems so evident and clear to us and the other person didn't get it. Like how many times have you done that where you're helping somebody do something and you've given an instruction and they totally didn't do the thing. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that's how you wanted it done. This happens a lot with me because I have to make voice. So, (laughs) you know, you give an instruction, you give, you give, you know, give, a a directive on something. And then like you turn around and that's not exactly what happened. And they're like, Oh no, you said I should just do that. And it's like, we have to remember that communication is really effective communication. Effective communication is going to look like us checking in with each other and repeating what we heard to really work properly. Yeah. And there's there's always, and and leadership, it's so interesting because you and I just did a recent mastermind call with our hygienist about leadership. And there is so much, so many questions about communication and how many times do I have to repeat this and right. how will I make them get it? And how, like, it is, <laughs> first of all, it's an art. Right. <laughs> Second yeah. Of all, yeah. Second of all, it's an ongoing thing right. because everyone, like you're saying, like perceives something a different way. Even if you think it's clear as day, no, I told you to right. do this to the Cavatron at the end of every single day. Well, I didn't think you meant like this or right. every single day, or like, you know, I didn't think you meant the green Cavatron tips or like, I didn't know you meant with water. Like, you know, there's right. so many different ways that you have to say it. And then there's repetition and follow through and follow up. So communication is always like this ongoing thing. It's never like this one and done. Like, yeah, I communicated with you. Right. I communicated from my perspective, considering my past experiences, like to you with your own perspective and your own past experiences. So anytime I have found that I'm like, you should know, it's like, I've got to take a step back and be like, no, they probably shouldn't just know, like, this is probably something that I have to communicate better and continue until we really get understanding. Like you talk about educating to understanding, like educating to understanding, like with everyone around us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Communicating to understanding. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's where I'm absolutely believe we're never going to really arrive there. It is a constant process. Hey, Bulletproof Hygiene listeners. We have some big, exciting news. We are proud to announce that our 2022 summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, June 3rd and 4th. Come join us for a weekend of growth, learning, and collaboration. We'll be taking deep dives into team culture, 
leadership, hygiene systems, and patient care and education that bring fulfillment, career success, and practice profitability. This course has the potential to change the trajectory of your career and help you practice at the top of your game. If you missed us in 2021, trust us, you don't want to miss this. Visit BulletproofSummit.com to get all the details and reserve your spot. We can't wait to see you there. So what you were just saying a minute ago was absolutely right in the direction I'm going with one of the reasons that we do tend to make assumptions is because of our previous experiences. So we base our judgments and our expectations on what happened before in this scenario, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to point out that these can be both positive and negative experiences. This isn't just the bad stuff. Like if you've gone to dinner with a friend 12 times and every time they've paid your bill, you kind of come to, you know, make that assumption that that's going to happen. And then when you go for the 13th time and they look at you to pay, you're like, wait, what? That's just a stupid little example, but for positive and negative things, we tend to do this. Um, So anytime we've seen a pattern in the past, we feel safe making the assumption that the next time will be the same outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it was a negative experience, we're more likely to avoid or shy away from the experience altogether. Um, And another reason that we make assumptions is that information tends to be transmitted and received in disconnected and incomplete pieces. Like we were just talking about, we may not have all the factors in place. So our minds do the best they can to make it make sense or complete the story. So this sounds very primitive, but our brain actually maps out our world for us to see so that we know where we are, who and what is around us and where we might encounter danger or um, access what we need to to meet our basic needs. Mm -hmm. It is a very protective measure that was built for our physical safety. But in our current culture and world, we've evolved it in our modern day to use it as a system for creating emotional safety as well. So there's a book out um, written by Don Miguel Ruiz, and it's called The Four Agreements. If you've never read that, I recommend it. It's a great book. Um, But it, it the book talk, he talks about that we make assumptions because any answer satisfies our questioning mind. Right. Doesn't it drive you nuts if you like have something that's unresolved? Like I was just saying to Brittany this morning before we started this podcast, like I woke up super early this morning and my brain just wouldn't stop because there's some issues I'm kind of thinking through and trying to figure out and process. And I feel like we kind of need that end result. We need that answer. We're always looking for that. So when we don't have that, when those pieces aren't complete, we start making those assumptions so that we can, you know, satisfy our brain and our questioning mind. Um, we can be less discerning when we are in an emotionally triggered space. I think we'd mm-hmm. all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because our minds are simply looking for a way to resolve the situation and to return to a place of safety, whether that be emotional or physical. Yeah. Can I, I, I have a yeah. on this too, because yeah. I think I brought it before I'm reading a book, um, by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry, who's a psychologist and it's like child trauma psychology and and they were in the book talking about the way that the brain develops and how it develops you know the very basic primitive part of our brain to like the most like logically thinking um critically thinking part of our brain and like in the book they made a point that we tend to feel and even act sometimes before we think about something 
think right. of, like actually critically think about this situation or what you know so I think we go through sometimes like we get stuck in the feeling and the doing before we're like oh crap like maybe that's we take a step back and think logically about it and get really like um yes what's the word but like like black and white about it and we're like oh here are the facts and we're able to be factual right. and not emotional about it so it right. makes perfect sense Yep. Yep. It's, it's definitely how we're wired. Mm-hmm. So if our brains are simply looking for a way to resolve the situation so that we can return to safety, um, I want to kind of turn this and say, so when we feel threatened by a patient who seems frustrated or hostile, we immediately what do uh, we immediately want to do what we can to fix the situation and mm-hmm. make them happy and make ourselves less uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the rub. The unique situation that we find ourselves in in the dental world is is very unique. Think about how many times a day we are giving patients bad news. We are informing a patient in the loss of their measure of health, telling them that they have decay, infection, periodontal disease, cracked teeth, potential sleep apnea, high blood pressure, broken teeth, you know, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. We give a lot of bad news on a pretty consistent basis. So just take a second and think about how you feel when you get bad news about your health. If you're really engaged in hearing the information and accepting what you're told, basically as you're taking ownership over it, it's really natural to go through the stages of grief. So just as a reminder, those are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So when we have a patient that is pushing back with any of these emotions, we can easily assume that they are mad at us or defensive about the information we're sharing. And and because that feels threatening to us and because we've seen this happen before, we can shut down and then compromise their care and say to ourselves, well, that was a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be willing to not necessarily want to fix the problem because we know that they've got to go through those stages. They've got to go through that to come to the ownership place. And if you immediately try to jump in and make it, make it all better and make it feel okay, then they may not be able to take true ownership of it. And and they may not follow through with the long-term, you know, treatment recommendations and what really needs to happen. Yeah. I think, I think it's okay to like, on one level, like we are there to solve their problem. Like we're there to solve their period or, you know, help them manage their yeah. disease, but we're not there to fix quote unquote or control how they feel about their problem or right. how they perceive their problem. Like that's all there. So I think that this is one of those things where like learning how to set boundaries and have healthy detachment is a really important thing because otherwise, especially if you're like a very, like, I'm a very like empathy person like very emotional person so like if I didn't have boundaries or I didn't understand any of that like I would be emotionally totally spent because I'm taking up so much energy and time feeling the patient's emotions for them trying to make them feel a certain way about the information I'm giving them that just like will run anyone dry and it's also a complete myth like at the end of the day you cannot control how someone feels responds, reacts, like we can influence people with our words and our actions. We can maintain, you know, we can maintain integrity and be true to ourselves. But at the end of the day, that may be influential to a lot of people, but there's, there's always someone who's not going to respond the way that we 
hope that they will or want or, or want them to. And that's not, that's not in our control. We can explain until we're blue in the face, but the person may just need to go through their emotions. There's no like fixing that. And there's honestly no need to fix it. Right. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say. I would argue that honestly, when you start to see some of those things, the denial, the defensiveness, you know, the anger, that's actually, honestly, I know this sounds weird, but it's actually a good sign Mm-hmm. that they're hearing what you're saying and they're yeah. starting to internalize it. Right. So you honestly, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and, you know, embrace the fact that there is some of that pushback. There are some of those questions happening. That means they're hearing what you're saying mm-hmm. and they're processing it. And you don't need to immediately jump in because it's not a reflection of how they feel about you. I know sometimes it feels that way. And it's like, well, they're telling me they're not very happy with what I'm telling them. It's not a you thing. This is a normal, natural process of acceptance. And it's not about you. So, you know, taking yourself out of that equation. Instead, I think the way that we do this is to really bring in empathy um, engage questions, start asking them questions because that's going to help them process and be a really active listener to see what their concerns are, how we can make them feel seen and heard and supported on this journey. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we can lay down, you know, we could lay down all of our assumptions because we know we, we know very little about the majority of our patients and their backgrounds, right? Honestly, right. we know this as hygienists, we, we struggle, struggle, struggle with time. We have such a limited time with our patients and all the things we have to make happen in that appointment. And it's hard to get to know them. And there's no way we know their whole life history and background. So we've got to listen and ask questions to figure out where they're at, what their goals are, where they've come from and how to help them win. Because, you know, patients aren't always super forthcoming with their information, right? Right. And we can assume that someone is just really rude when really they're really anxious because they've had some really bad dental experiences in the past. And this is not their favorite place and they don't want to be here. So they're defensive about it. So if we read that as, oh, they're just rude and they don't like me and they don't want to be here. And we don't step up to the plate and really check in with them and let them know that they're seen and heard and ask the questions, Mm -hmm. then we do a disservice to them as well. And we almost propagate their experiences. Yeah, I had I had an experience like along these lines really recently where I had a patient um, come in and in the appointment card, I was already kind of like annoyed (laughs) (laughs) because he had been in a couple of years ago, hadn't been back since. But um, we had it was a circumstance where we had a a doctor do everything from start to finish that day, like. She, she was then a new doctor. We found out that this doctor wasn't a, a great fit for our team. So we let her go at some point. So she's no longer with the team. Um, but I have found that in the history, just in the notes, patients, when they saw her a lot of times, I don't know if it was just communication wise or what the, the issue was, but they didn't, they didn't seem to have the best experiences, right? So this person had come in and seen this doctor and she and her assistant had taken diagnostics and the doctor actually did the hygiene um, which was, it was posted as a profi, but I looked at the period charts, period chart had fours and five. So it kind of didn't match up. It just seemed like it was like a, maybe a bloody profi, potentially an uncomfortable experience for the patient. There's nothing in the notes about that, obviously, but it, it just seemed like one of those situations, like a, something didn't go right. And I looked at the appointment card and the patient had called asking to see the quote unquote, most experienced hygienist. And ironically, someone 
booked them with me. I'm, I'm not the one who's been at Spodak the longest or a hygienist who have been there longer than me. Um, but they booked them with me. And I was already annoyed at that. I'm like, oh gosh, like what's this person's problem? Kind of like assuming things like he's going to be difficult. He's already requesting the most experience. Like what is, what's his deal, you know? But I kind of looked at the notes and kind of was like, all right, I wonder if there's just an experience issue here. So he comes in and, you know, I greet him and, <clears throat> and take his diagnostics and update everything. Med history, go through chief complaint, chief concern, all that stuff. Introduce myself, obviously. And he's like a little like, cold and I can tell he's kind of like giving me the side eye like who's this person and is this going to be any different you know and then when I go to um do his period chart I explain you know what I'm going to do what I'm measuring what the numbers mean and then after I explained that before I started charting he looked back at my assistant who was helping me because I was running behind usually I use voice works but if I'm running behind she helps me perio chart in dentrix because it's just faster so she was there and he as soon as I stopped talking he looked at her and goes and rolls his eyes, like looking at her for like validation, like, okay, this crazy lady's telling me what these numbers mean. And, and he was like, uh, he was like, I've spent more time in the dental chair than any of you have. And I'm like, all right, I don't know how this is relevant, but let's start probing. <laughs> so <laughs> start getting the numbers. And then at the end, I just like explained and, and, you know, just tried to stay, I stayed as neutral as possible. It was just like, this is my objective measuring tool. I showed him the probe, what the little millimeters are and what I'm measuring. I explained that I'm measuring from the gum level to the, the height of the gums that he can see when he looks in the mirror to underneath where something actually physically connects to the root of the tooth. And the depth is supposed to be one to three millimeters. And if it's higher than that, it indicates that either the gum is too high indicating inflammation or the bone level is too low, indicating the side effect of chronic, chronic inflammation, which is bone loss and eventual tooth loss. So explained everything to him, went through his parachart. Of course, he needs scaling. It's been two years since his last hygiene and his last hygiene was a probably a bloody prophy. Um, and he asks a lot of questions. It's still kind of like a little cold. I could see like his body language. He's very tense. Um, but then at the end, I just answered all his questions very matter of factly. And I try and stay assertive and just straightforward and factual with patients who I'm perceiving had a little bit of um, uh, like hesitancy to accept what I'm saying. And at the end, we didn't end up doing hygiene that day. He wanted to reschedule due to time restraints, his own time restraints. But he was like, uh, I'm seeing you next time, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, okay, good. Because like, he just, he kind of like verbalized that he had a good experience and he said some nice things, but like, then he opened up a little bit and told me that he had had, uh, his like brother-in-law just passed away two days before he broke four vertebrae in his back. He didn't, by the way, he didn't let me know this in his medical history. I went through his whole medical history, asked him about surgeries. He didn't have surgery. So he didn't tell me about the back thing. He broke four vertebrae in his back in the last two years. He had been like, you know, couch bound and then like chair about whatever, you know, he had, he'd had a really difficult time, um, becoming comfortable and kind of healing. And his wife had medical issues and I was just like, Oh, okay. This is where this person's coming from too. So there may be financial concerns where they, they're just maybe he's emotionally spent because he's had a rough two years on top of COVID and all the other things, you know? So assuming, you know, I had assumed at the beginning, he'd be a difficult patient. Like, honestly, there was a little pushback, but it, in the grand scheme, when I look at that situation, that wasn't a difficult situation. You know, he rolled his eyes like, so what? The, the guy's right. he's gone through a hard time probably doesn't right. have anything to do with me. It's probably just he's yep. he's having a hard time. Like he's having a hard time accepting more loss in the measure of his health when he has already, you know, damaged his back and had this really difficult last couple of years. And he's probably had an experience of people kind of feeling his maybe terseness or, you know, having kind of that wall up. 
and thinking themselves like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. So he mm-hmm. hasn't had anybody reach through to him with an empathetic, you know, like a direct, like, hey, this is what's going on. We're here to take care of you. Right. Um, you know, I want to work together on this. I, I want to make sure we meet your goals kind of way. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it blows me away. You never, there, there is always something more to the story always. Right. Right. And I think it's keeping that in mind. I had a patient this week who was very anxious and seemed a little, a little cold. I mean, kind, but cold. And in the process of the appointment, she actually shared with me that she had been raped and oh, it was like, there were tears and she and I had the biggest, hardest hug at the end of the appointment. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I'm her hygienist for life at this point, but it was one of those, like you can flippantly make the assumption at the beginning that somebody's just anxious or they're, you know, they just, they're, they're dismissive of who we are and it has nothing to do with us. They've got right. their own story going on. They're coming in to see us for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. a very brief blip in their day. So, right. Yeah. So I want to talk about how we stop the assumption game, but first I want us to think through how often this happens and give some basic examples of how we sabotage ourselves on a daily basis, because I want this to be really relevant. I want us to really start noticing what's happening. So here's something that happened this week. Um, I was going around to our locations uh, coaching and one of our hygienists said to me, um, we were talking about, you know, goals and numbers and all that. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes I just have like a day full of recares. And I could tell that the assumption for her meant, well, that's not going to be a productive day because it's just a day full of recares. And I said, well, honestly, I feel like it's kind of how you look at it there. Because if you, if that's your mentality of, well, it's just a day full of recares, there's nothing, you know, nothing's going to happen. Then nothing will happen because you won't take the time to look at it from a different angle or think about what could be more preventative that we could offer or where is there actual infection happening that we have just kind of been glossing over. Um, you know, it's anytime we make assumptions, there's an opportunity on the other side of it. So kind of looking at what are you, what, when you look at your day at the beginning of the, you know, your schedule at the beginning of the day, what's your immediate thought? Cause that's likely where your day is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you read, like you just said, you read the notes on a new patient coming in that says this patient only wants to do what insurance covers. Like, you know, we read previous notes and we like mm-hmm. already start forming our opinion and creating those assumptions. Um, again, that's an opportunity. Maybe that is, maybe that patient is insurance driven, but maybe when you explain what's going on and put it in light of their medical history and their goals and concerns, maybe they all start to realize, oh, insurance isn't really going to help me with what my goals are. Right. Um, or, you know, you notice something about like one of your team members comes in, you notice like maybe it's your treatment coordinator and you're like, oh no, she's super quiet this morning. She must be having a bad day. I guess I'm going to avoid her today. Right. Like you miss just made like the quickest assumption when maybe it was one of those mornings that she was running late. Maybe she spilled her coffee all over her car, but you know, like, and actually you kind of checking in with her and saying, Hey, how are you doing? Might actually make her day better. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of, I feel like one is common is I catch myself with this, like, oh my gosh, this patient is late again. Like, why don't they respect my time? Now I'm going to have to rush through this Mm -hmm. when instead it could be that they've had a horrendous day. Mm -hmm. They're running late. um, And maybe we spend the time assessing and educating, Mm -hmm. you know, like I just think when we get in the ruts of these initial assumptions, it totally projects what our day is going to be. Um, you know, we've got this common, well, gosh, Mr. Jones is coming in today. 
He never wants to follow our recommendations. I'm not even going to waste my time discussing it. But what if today is the day that Mr. Jones is ready to own, take ownership and move forward? But we're not even going to present it because eh, he's never said yes before. Right. And you know, I've, what I've noticed, especially with um, people that I think are, you know, historically we see those notes like insurance driven or patient only wants what insurance covers, doesn't want fluoride due to cost, like any of that stuff. If I treat the patient like I like I treat everyone else, a lot of times they'll become that person mm-hmm. and not like in a way like, oh, I can control. It's not a control thing. It's right. like, like still the person has a choice. The person could very well say like, no, I don't want that. I only want my insurance covers. But I found more often than not, like when we don't act, when we don't treat them with assumption and we just give them information, like I would give any other patient, you're almost like starting from scratch because the first time the person heard this information. So usually it's, it's a new patient appointment. It could have been with someone else. It could have been with you. Um, maybe there was a reason why it didn't make sense to them the first time they heard it. So like, if I explain why fluoride is indicated in someone's, you know, in someone's mouth for their specific circumstance, maybe the first time they're not in the headspace to hear what I'm actually saying and digest that information. So moving forward, they might just be like, Oh no, I don't do the fluoride. No, I don't do the fluoride. If I take time and just say, and just ask like, what, why don't we do fluoride? Like, what, what is it that you, like, like, why are you avoiding fluoride? Or what is your thought about fluoride? If I get curious about that, I'm telling you more often than not, they'll be like, oh, I didn't know that. Like they didn't yep. hear me the first time. They didn't hear yep. the other person or they thought they had assumptions about us and they thought we were selling them something, but now they've heard the value of it. So like I've had some of my most quote unquote insurance driven patients move forward with the biggest treatment plans in hygiene and in restorative. Like I'm talking $70,000 FMR or, you know, perioprotectin scaling. Like it, you can't put everyone in that box. Once we start treating them, like they're not going to move forward with treatment They're They just like fulfill that, you know, they just fulfill that projection basically. Well, I think they fulfill that. And honestly, I think we fulfill it because if that's our mentality, we're not taking the time to really educate and really connect with them and ask the questions for, of where they're at and what do yeah. they value and what's important to them. We're just kind of rushing through it thinking, oh, they're not going to do it anyway. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot in that as well. Um, I think there's so many times you come in, you look at the schedule and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a total cluster. Like, there's no way we can make this work. And that's how it's going to go. Instead of like going, oh, this is a challenge. Okay. How can we fit together and, you know, we've got a team here, we're going to work together. How can we make this happen and strategizing so that it really can be effective for everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this I'm sure only happens in our office, but you'll walk by sterilization and it's like covered up and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so just left all their stuff here. <laughs> that is an assumption because you don't know in your own lane of crazy day, you don't know what somebody else is dealing, currently dealing with. So they may have something going on. There may be a patient complication they're dealing with. Maybe this patient decided they wanted to enroll in more treatment or same day treatment. Like those are the things we have to lay down. And, you know, now, honestly, if it's like a chronic issue and one person is always leaving their stuff for someone else to do, that's a conversation you go and have, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's easy. Like I catch myself doing that. Like I'll see somebody like started unpacking boxes, but they didn't finish. And I'm like, oh, how did that just get left? But again, you don't know what somebody else left to go do. Right. And it might be, you know, to me, the patient care comes first. So if there was a patient that needed assistance or, you know, same day that we moved over, like the boxes can wait, they'll still be here at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and then just like what you said, this patient needs full mouth rehab. They're never going to spend that much money. How many times do we make that assumption? And then we have a patient, you know, who we, I was just talking about this with one of my docs this week and, uh, we just finished this guy's case and it is life transformational. Like it's incredible. Um, and he was saying, you know, he showed me his before pictures and I was like, oh my gosh, he's like, and you know, when he came in, like, I thought there's no way he's going to do this. And he called back a week later and was like, Hey, I got all my finances together. Let's go. So you just never know. Yeah. And when, um, we, when I feel like when we really relay the value and we can help the patient to connect how valuable the service is with their own personal values, what they want out of life. They get really creative with the financial side of things, really creative. They will take a loan. They will borrow money. They will ask for, they'll start a GoFundMe page, you know, that they'll, they'll get really creative. So if we're assuming for them, then we never give them all the options, but that's not, that's not in their best interest. Right. Right. And if we're not giving them the options, like that's a malpractice issue too, you know? Yeah. So I feel like these are some pretty basic examples of assumptions that we tend to make pretty frequently as uh, dental professionals, at least for me. Um, And they can lead to so much frustration, impact our team culture, and deprive our patients of getting their needs met. So let's talk about how we get off this train. And I'm going to say the first step is to practice mindfulness, to be aware of when this is happening and step out of it. So You want to notice or observe without judgment. And yes, I know that's the hard part, but pay attention to when you're making assumptions and start to recognize that they are assumptions in the first place. Like you can't do anything about it until you realize it's happening. So ask yourself, um, you know, is what I'm thinking actually based on any factual, factual reality here? Or am I filling in the blanks and making this mean something through my own filter? So I think that's step one is just starting to recognize you know, it'll happen tomorrow when you go into the office, you'll start to, you know, oh, I'm doing that. Oh, I'm doing that. Um, And then step two is let there be multiple possibilities. So another amazing, but sometimes, uh, sometimes tricky thing our mind does is it plays this kind of uh, record. So the more we think about or focus on something, the more real or true it becomes. So, for example, if I believe that I'm unlikable and that I used um, I use that as an answer to why I wasn't included, like in a dinner invite or something, that thought grows stronger and starts to seem like the only answer. So it must be true or right. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. So let there be other possibilities. And just giving other possibilities takes power from that negative assumption. And it also trains our brains, um, trains our mind to stop assuming and setting on one possibility out of habit, because our minds were always going to go to the easiest, most practiced thought, unless we are mindful. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that there are other exits can be useful. Um, and perhaps like, you know, it's like in this example of like feeling like you're not liked because you didn't get an invite to something like. Perhaps you weren't included because you, I haven't talked to that person in a really long time. Maybe they had a limit on how many people they could include. What if they saw on social media that I would be out of the ta- out of town this weekend? So there was a lot of possibilities and none of them had anything to do with people not liking me. And it's the same thing with our patients. Like if we're so in the negative of thinking, oh, this patient's not going to want to do anything. Oh, my day's not going to be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we got to start opening ourselves up to other options right. and, and, you know, let there be multiple per- possibilities. When that patient is asking those questions or putting up those defenses, think about what their story could be, not just what you're, you know, filtering it to be. I think you want to also play with your worst case scenario. So maybe that patient didn't jibe with your personality. Maybe they thought you were abrasive or harsh. Who knows why? Maybe it has to do with an episode from childhood or previous dental experiences. Either way, it's okay for everybody not to like you. Just want to say that again. (laughs) It's okay that everybody doesn't like you. We don't all, we're not all going to be best friends and that's okay. That's normal. That's life. But if the worst case scenario is true, maybe this patient doesn't like you, we still have choices about how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So the point of playing with the worst case scenario is to recognize that you can get through what might feel like a situation that's out of your control. We grasp for answers and resolution when we feel powerless, but if you are never powerless, even in, but you are never powerless, even in your worst case scenario. If it doesn't feel like a good fit and you and that patient aren't jiving, schedule them with a different provider. Like there's another option. There's always another option. When that patient is really defensive and not wanting to move forward with your treatment, um, I, I will say to my patients, I've had this conversation with patients before where, you know, I will do all, do my best job to educate them to understanding on their perio condition and them say, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to do a cleaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've had the conversation of, so I actually can't do that for you today because you are presenting with active infection that is degrading the foundation of your gum and bone Mm -hmm. and a cleaning is not going to address any of that. So I don't want to, I'm not willing to compromise your care because what I know is going to happen is when I go in there, if, even if I just do a basic cleaning, it's going to create bleeding as I kind of bump up against the gums and that puts you at risk for systemic issues. So I'm not willing to compromise your care. Tell me, tell me why what we're talking about today doesn't seem to concern you and just start asking the questions. And if it gets to the end and they're just not willing to move forward, um, you know, then I have said before, you know, honestly, I, I legally can't, you know, agree to compromise your care. So maybe we're not the best fit for you. You know, maybe, maybe you should go get a second opinion somewhere and see if, if, um, you know, they're telling you the same thing. Right. Um, and this is, this is step number four. And it's like, this is the biggest one to me. Uh, Well, maybe aside from one where you recognize when it's happening, because otherwise you can't change it. But step four is transform assumptions into questions. So this is perhaps the most important step in stopping negative assumptions. When we think negatively, we approach those thoughts with absolute truths. So we got to change our language from a statement, which implies truth, to a question, which implies possibility. And that's really powerful. So when you have a patient who um, asks what feel like pushback questions, see this as an opportunity and ask more questions. So say your patient's like, well, will my insurance cover this? You could say, is that how you would like for me to make recommendations for you? And I think that's a powerful question to think like, oh, do you want them to let me dictate your care and put that ball in their court? If you're sharing recommendations and your patient's really silent and not engaging and not saying something, I'm going to say this sentence first, but don't go where you're not invited. 
So if patients aren't engaging, don't keep talking because they're just going to tune you out. Yes. I love that. Um, but so you notice they're not really, you know, engaging. That's where you want to kind of check in with them. Like, you know, how does this, how is this sounding to you? Are you concerned about this? Where would you like to go from here? Put it in their court. Questions are really important um, for patients to take ownership. So uh, I know Brittany and I both have shared before that we're open about this. And I say everyone on the planet should have therapy, but we both have done a fair share of therapy in our lives. Um, and to me, the best therapist asks questions mm-hmm. and it's not because they need the answers. It's because when they ask you a question and you answer for yourself and you think through and you process it, you're coming to your own resolution. You're coming to your own truths in the situation yeah. and what, what your patterns have been and what you need to change. And it's the same thing for our patient as we're educating them. You know, they come in, not, we know this, that half the time for perio, there is no discomfort. There's no pain. They're not concerned about bleeding. Like they're coming in and we're telling them they have a problem and they don't feel a problem. They don't see a problem. So in their brains, like this isn't my problem. This is your problem. You're the one telling me about it. I don't have a problem. Right. So questions are what bring them around to, as they answer those, they get to kind of experience, oh, what, how, how do I feel like about this? What do I want to do about this? You know, I think it just brings a lot of ownership instead of us just telling them what's going on and what they need to have done, inserting the questions and really listening to where they're at so that we can meet them there. Yeah, because when when someone else tells us something, we can choose to stay in denial about it. But when we say something about our own lives and we we explain what the truth is, we're no longer in denial. We're stepping out of denial about it. So we're at to, to some extent starting the acceptance process. So when they come to that, when you help them to trip over the truth, they are starting to accept what you've told them and take responsibility for their own disease and their own health status. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly what we want them to do. Because when you have a patient that has that ownership and is engaged, they want to do what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And, and not just on the treatment front, but on the home care front too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the win really happens. And honestly, questions allow us to stay connected to our patients and really they help patients connect to themselves. So we've got to get really curious and ask a lot of questions. We want to be honestly asking more questions than we are telling them things because that's where we're going to meet them. And then the last step is embracing the silence. Um, One of the main ingredients in negative assumptions is impatience. Often our minds supply an answer simply because we are just too impatient to wait for the truth. Texting is a really great example of this. Um, You know, there have been plenty of articles written about how automatic most things have become um, and how we expect responses really quickly. So has anyone felt the anxious feeling when they see those three dots repeating, like waiting for the other person to respond? And you're like, why is this taking so long? What are they going to say? You know, your brain has a hard time just letting things be. Mm -hmm. Um, It wants that next step. So in our operatories, Again, as we are delivering bad news, we've got to give our patients space and time to absorb and process it. So if they're sitting quietly looking thoughtful or with kind of a furrowed brow, don't bulldoze through their silence with more words and explanations. 
let them think it out on their, you know, and, and absorb what's happening and think through what their own questions are. Um, we get uncomfortable in silence a lot of times, and we make the assumption as to what's going on in their heads. So give them a minute and check in with them. And so something like, Hey, Mr. Smith, what is your understanding about why we've recommended this crown? Or why do you think I'm concerned about this? Um, we tend to, and I think hygienists, especially like we get uncomfortable if there's a minute where, you know, there's not something being said, like we've said something that we perceive as, as hard and uncomfortable. And then there's nothing. And like, we're immediately like, oh my gosh, they hate me. They hate this. They don't want to do this. So you're, you're starting to explain more and tell them more and really just give them a moment. You know, you would want that yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, Remember when it comes to learning to lay down our assumptions Um, and instead embrace opportunity that this is a practice. It takes time and there will be successes and failures, lots of failures, especially in the beginning. Um, Our minds are brilliant, but also stubborn and they're used to doing those pattern things. So habits become ingrained and repetition is necessary and healthy for the brain. So I challenge you to switch your repetition of assumptions to instead curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, I challenge you to go from the, I think I know to the, I want to know and get really curious. Do you have anything to add to this, Brittany? Oh, I love it. I think it was super comprehensive. Awesome. Well, I, uh, hope everyone has a really great week and that you will really step into this. And, and, you know, even if you have to write on a sticky note in your operatory, get curious, Something to prompt you to step out of the assumptions and see what your full potential is, see what the patient's potential is, Mm -hmm. and really step into the role that we have of getting to help our patients get healthy and connect with us in a way that they know we're going to care for them best. So everybody have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Come see us on our Mighty Network. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.